About two years ago, the Lord impressed us to ask Pastor Jack Hayford if he would prayerfully consider becoming an apostolic elder of our church, having been in the ministry now about 60 years along with his wife, Anna, and having the stellar reputation of humility, godliness, the grace of God on his life and ministry. We really felt the sense that as, as our church was continuing to grow, that we needed the safety of wisdom that was beyond our experience and beyond our years. Having asked him, he did pray and he got back to us and felt like it was something of the Lord. And so since then, he's regularly come and spoken to us and ministered to us. And of course, on this special day, we asked if he would be able to be a part and he was only able to be a part of this service. You notice I didn't announce that up front because uh, I thought everybody would just pack in the, the same service, but this is one of four services that will happen here today. But Pastor Jack, I believe, has a word from God. He called me, he shared what was on his heart, and I thought, oh, am I thankful that the Lord led us, if for no other reason than today, and there are probably a hundred other reasons. I'm glad the Lord led us to ask Pastor Jack if he would become an apostolic elder of our church. I'm gonna ask Anna Hayford to stand and for you to welcome her and to welcome to the platform, Pastor Jack Hayford. Thank you, thank you. What a thrilling, thrilling day. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be here. Stay just a minute. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a delight to be here. Jerry, uh, you mentioned my reading of cards, and I enjoyed yours, and I look forward to it. I, I hope I never go to the depths of wearing Superman outfits. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, seriously. Uh, it made me think, and I don't know why you're standing up here, made me think of this. But it's one of the cards I got, which if I still had, I'd probably uh, prepare it for you next year. <laughs> and it's because it does express how I feel about you. On the front of the card, it says, it says, Happy birthday to one of the most noble, respected men I've ever known. It said, Whenever I think of you, I think of you in terms of the dignity and the grandeur of a person who has a sense of destiny. And I'm going to address you so that uh, you can see the very picture <laughs> of the very thing. And I know that that's, uh, those are real things that we feel about, Jerry. So but when I think of you, and then it, it shows you the front of the card of a guy that's standing like this, looking in, a, there's a sun, sunset that's taking place. It says, looking into the future, or excuse me, a sunrise, seeing, looking into the future, and thinking grand thoughts of all that may be, standing there on the high hill, the wind blowing your hair inside, <laughs> and you being too proud to run after it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Bless you. <laughs> what a very, very special day. I want to quickly uh, say that my, you saw Anna stand here with me. She just, we just sell it. We have both just entered, get ready for this, our 80s, both of us. And uh, this, 
And this coming year, we will celebrate our 60th anniversary. And uh, it's a very, very exciting time for us. And Mark and Amanda stay in quick and have them welcome you. There's a lot of welcoming going on. This is one of our grandsons and his wife that have flown in from Colorado and are here with us today. <laughs> now you can rest your hands. <laughs> You've done a lot of this applause. Uh, Jerry's going to be, Pastor Jerry's going to be preaching uh, the message of the morning. But when he asked me to come, I, he, he said, Pastor, I want you to come and bring whatever the Lord gives you for this day that is historic in the body life of the rock. And uh, I've said enough historically in the, uh, about uh, the rock that you know my feelings of attachment and closeness with this congregation, the frequency with which I'm welcome to be here and would be here far more often if it weren't for the many, many travels that we have. And I won't even make a recitation of what this past week is involved of being in three different conferences at which I spoke. But to be here this morning is a, a, a very, very, very delightful moment. And I feel it's a moment of destiny, not simply in the sense of delight and celebration, but destiny in the sense of future and calling. And that's what the Lord put on my heart. And I want to go quickly to the passage of Scripture He gave me and speak to you. And uh, don't bother to turn there. They, this can be referenced another time and will be. Uh, perhaps the next time that I'm here for a, an entire message, because this is a, something He asked me to bring for about a 10-minute period in this morning, and I wouldn't miss doing it. I'm not regretful that I can't be in the other services because it's by reason of the visit of our grandson and his daughter. We wanted to take him to dinner and then we have to take him to the airport when they uh, leave when you'll probably be entering the last service. And so uh, we've uh, uh, had no alternative but to accept the one occasion and uh, that reflects nothing less than the full commitment we feel toward what is, being ta ta what is taking place here at The Rock. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. The Lord is addressing a people by the prophet Jeremiah who are in ancient Babylon. They were taken there against their will. They were taken there as a result of losing their city, losing, they are, the, I could go through a list of things of what was true of history at that time, but the point is they were a people who not only had their own challenges, because all of us do, but they were in, midst, in the midst of a broken culture. As victorious as Babylon may have been militarily, it was a culture so steeped in the confusion of that world that the paganism that usually ends up in consuming and destroying good people's lives, the things that by reason of unattachment with anything that even reflects a sense of the nobility of human nature and that becomes depraved, not because people see that they're ruining the prospect and purpose of their very being. God does not only call people to a way of life because it's something that is holy in the sense of being religious, but holy in the sense of being whole and completely realizing the best that can be true of the human experience. So when we come as a people committed to worship a holy God and to answer him as he calls us and draws us into his life, his lifestyle designed for us, which makes sense because since he designed human beings in creation, 
There is the reason that he wants us to understand this is a manufacturer and we need to pay heed to the handbook and the guidelines will cause the equipment to, in the case of humanity, not only last for a lifetime and functionally uh, be well, but to last for eternity and know the blessings of the one who created us when he ultimately brings us back into his presence. The ministry of the rock is very, very grounded as the very name suggests or announces what Jesus said he intended to do. On this, on this rock I will build my church and the rock is the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone in this congregation knows that that's what is being mentioned in the rock. Building Solid Lives, the discipling program, is something I take great delight in because it is not common in the body of Christ today, even among churches that draw wonderful crowds and people come to Christ that don't find the depth and dimension of those things the Lord has for the people. Consequently, around the, across the nation and in many parts of the world, because the influence of the North American church is profound globally, mostly by reason of television and internet, and people take their models from us. And so many times they are superficial because what is being shown them does not lead anymore into a program of people who know how to, to live as disciples than uh, they need to become. And this church understands that very well. It's built on the rock. The passion of my ministry has always been in alignment with that. Nothing delights me. One of the most Natural things for Anna and I to be a part of is the fellowship of the rock because this characterizes the life we led and uh, ourselves and the life that we led in the people of the church on the way for the 31 years we pastored there in San Fernando Valley. I want to, in the light of the call of the church, to be more than simply a people who gather, take great delight in the Lord, and rejoice in his presence for what they are experiencing. To answer a prophetic word this morning that I will not deliver by say, thus saith the Lord. I will read what the Lord says in his word and I'll say what he impressed on my heart to say to you. And I have these next five minutes to say that given context. Because the context is to essentially say that this day of celebration, I believe God has put upon my heart, and I called Pastor Jerry, and I said, Pastor, this is what's put on my heart. He says, Pastor Jack, that is of the Lord, so do it. I, I, I am not the pastor of this congregation, and I put that word before him, but I felt it so deeply, and I uh, thank him for that confirmation because I don't believe he'd casually give it. Today... I believe that there's a word of prophetic passion that the Lord has for you. And as a congregation, he wants you to see this great day of celebration also as a day of assignment. Would you say with me, a day of celebration and a day of assignment. A day of celebration and a day of assignment. The assignment is to acknowledge before God the stewardship of a privilege that this city has allowed you to be in this place. And that's been appropriately honored today. What God has given you a privilege in being in this city site that is a fresh call to this city, to this region, and I believe as well 
as Anaheim is renowned internationally by reason of the uh, parks here, notably Disneyland, to be a people of prayer at a new dimension for the nation and for the nations. Listen, as the Lord brought these people there in this period of time that was actually a captivity, but they were allowed to live as citizens. Their captivity was they were nearly a thousand miles from where they had lived before. They'd been displaced by the conquering ruler, Nebuchadnezzar, the emperor of the Babylonian empire at that time. And having been displaced, the Lord was speaking to a people in a city that though they had conquered in battle, they were a people who knew nothing of the way of God. And the Lord was saying, as you come here, I'm giving you an assignment to recognize that while this may be a point that you have come as God has brought you by his leading, and in this case, I'm speaking about the, the congregation here, and that you obviously live in this region, it's a place that God has put you as one of his own. But he's also put you there to understand that you are there not for your own sake any more than today. You're here merely for celebration. You're here for a purpose. He's one of us in the purpose of God and this congregation at this hour to receive an assignment. And I believe it's to hear this word from the scriptures. Verse 7. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be brought and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. Let me read it again. Pray for the peace of the city where I have brought you and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. The striking thing about this verse is it is an assignment to pray for a city recognizing you are here. Here, center city, if there would be a center in terms of a gathering place in this city, it would be here. Perhaps the local high school football field is occasionally, but this would be used all year long. There would be other times of assembly in various areas here. But here is a heartbeat location in a city, God, and in a region where God has raised up a witness of people who understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We live in a day that the church across the nation, the evangelical community, even much of the spirit-filled community among evangelicals are people who celebrate, who win people to Christ, but do not cultivate a sense of intercessory vision and responsibility. This is not true of you. You are a people who are a people of prayer. But I believe there's something God wants to put as a seal upon your blessing of having this added possibility for influence, leadership, and service to this area. And that's to be the blessing that comes from a people who recognize that the shalom of God, the word peace in Hebrew, the shalom that speaks for health, for the physical well-being of people. It speaks for new life, the spiritual well-being of people. It speaks for social peaceableness, for the well-being of people enjoying a community where things are different than they would be apart from the prevailing the prevailing presence of the shalom of God. All those things that I recited are characterized by that word, shalom. And so as the word 
speak so pointedly, seek the peace of the city where I have put you. And in that, you will have peace. Your peace that your peaceableness is related to this as well. That there is praying for the peace of the city, you inherit something that flows to you. And that becomes a personal thing as God addresses a group. He is intimately as concerned with each individual in that group as he is the group itself. He is interested in your family. He is interested in the issues that have to do with your soul, your health, your eternal well-being, and your pragmatic part in the community life and your labors. And in that regard, God says, as you seek the blessing on the city, you will experience that peace. The interesting thing is the linkage between accepting that assignment and what becomes beneficial to us. One of the most frequently quoted verses in the Bible is within the next five verses. And it's a verse that being quoted so frequently with the fact that so rarely we hear the verse that I just said, is the tendency that I believe this assignment is to call us to be guarded against. I think it's a will and a, a willingness of people in this congregation to rise to be all that the Lord would call you to be. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. Can I hear it again? Amen. In fact, the the amen is one way to seal things. Another way to seal contracts in the Old Testament was to slap your hands together two or three times. Go ahead and do it. Say, Lord, we do that. We seal this before you, Lord. We seal it And so I speak with this sense of prophetic passion to say rejoice. But rejoice not simply in a wonderful opportunity but receive. Rejoice, but receive a fresh commission to love, to reach, to embrace a city. There's verse after verse in the scripture that calls the people of God to stance themselves and pray. If my people who are called by name, my name, that's the believers who say, Lord, I'm yours. He said, if, conditionally, they'll pray. I'll bless the land. Paul wrote Timothy. He said, First of all, Timothy, in your new pastoral assignment, he said, you bring the people to a place of intercession, that they would pray for kings and rulers and all who are in authority, that there may be a peaceable life where you are. That's the New Testament. This word in the Old Testament is a word that is demonstrated of a people brought into a place of discomfort, very much in contrast to the joyful comfort we have this morning and the joyful pleasure of the prospect, what this will mean to the congregation. But they were in the middle of a culture that was dark and needy. In terms of dark and needy cultures, probably none was more miserably in need than ancient Sodom. When God, who did not want to bring judgment that was becoming self-inflicted upon people by the very self-destructive mode of life they were pursuing. God's heart spoke to Abraham, and he said, I want you to know that that region would be in jeopardy if it weren't for someone to stance themselves and pray. And that very famous prayer where Abraham went said, Lord, would you spare? Would you spare? 
came all the way down to saying finally, would you spare it for 10 people? God said, I would spare it for 10 people. The fact of the matter is that wasn't enough, but the point is the heart of God is looking for those that will pray because his infinite mercies will reach to save, will reach to heal, will reach to improve and bless the people of a region when the people who know his peace seek the peace of the city where they are. So I believe on this day that in a city site that God has given you and that you are, uh, have a new point of a broadened influence and focus just by this very small change, but geographical fact joined with your other campus as well, that God has clearly raised up this church, not simply for its own blessing and celebration, you know that, but I want to invite you to become a people who say we will accept a new dimension of intercessory assignment. The promise, those few verses later, is the one that says, we quote so often, says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And the Lord who gave that wonderful verse set it in an environment where he said, seek the peace of the city, pray for it, and in its peace you will find peace. In a very real sense, that beautiful promise he said, only five verses away cannot be dissociated. But how often do we hear people quote, the Lord has said, I know the plans I have for you, they're for good, but they have not attached it to the role too of while God has good things for you, he wants good things for everything around you in this city and in this region and in our world. And he says, and so you carry the ball because I've given you a new expanded possibility of being the people I've raised you up to be. God bless you. It's nice to be here with you this morning. Thank you so much. I believe that's a word from God, and I believe it has everything to do with a few things that I want to say. I'm going to be very brief today. I want you to open your Bibles, if you have them, please, to John chapter 4. And thank you, Pastor Jack. And thanks to everyone for being patient with us with the sound. I don't know exactly what's going on, but I know that the tech team here have been working night and day to get this place ready and dialed in to have services here and to do it with excellence. And so I know that they're doing everything they can to make that happen. John chapter 4 is where I want us to begin. And... I want us to read, as we normally do, from the New King James Version. If you don't have that version with you, that's all right. There are a lot of good versions. But just for the sake of us reading aloud, would you follow along on the screens? And I want us to read out loud verses 34 to 38, very popular passage. John chapter 4, verses 34 to 38. I know I'm going quickly for the sake of time. But let's all read. If you don't have it yet, Follow it on the screens, everyone together. John 4, 34 to 38, loudly and together, let's read. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruits for eternal life, 
that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Let's stop there. I want to ask all the kids a question. All the kids. Jesus said at 12 years old, seven very important words. Tell me what they are. That's exactly right. I must be about my father's business. Let's all say them together. I must be about my father's business. At the age of 12, Jesus began to realize that God had an assignment on his life. And he started thinking, I've got to grow up. I can't stay a child anymore. Even at 12, he's thinking, I've got to be about God's assignment. He recognized there was a unique purpose, a specific purpose for his life. And he announces to his parents, I must be about my father's business. Everybody say this out loud. There comes a time when you got to grow up. Which brings me to the story I promised you about Pastor David. <laughs> Being six years older than David, I remember more things about him than he does about me. <laughs> Pastor J David was early on a lot of things, but when it came to potty training, he was a late bloomer. And uh, so he was still in diapers and having some problems. At, uh, I think it was about 10 years old. No, I'm just kidding. No, that, that's, not, that's not true. He, he was still a little guy, but my parents were trying to work with him. He just wasn't getting it. And so he'd be walking around with, you know, that droopy diaper, you know, and, uh, and we'd all pick up on the aroma and we'd realize, you know, there's a problem going on. Well, there came a time when my grandpa from Texas came to visit us. We called him Grandpa Red because when he was young, he had red hair and the name just stuck. So all of our lives, that's Grandpa Red. Well, he was in from Texas. My parents both worked. And so because he was there, my parents would leave David home with him to watch. Well, there's one thing we learned about Grandpa Red. He does not like changing poopy diapers. <laughs> and he could not believe that this boy was not potty trained yet. Well, that's when we learned that apparently they have different techniques in Texas. <laughs> Grandpa would get down there, he'd get mad, he'd take off that diaper, oh boy, and he'd say all his Texas stuff, that gum, and all that. I, I don't know what it all means, but I just know it's a lot of talk that we didn't talk in California. Like, woo, holy poly, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, this went on, diaper after diaper, and one day he got so mad, he looked at David. David's laying on the ground. He pulled that, oh! And he says, here's what he said. He said, boy, the next time you do this, you're going to eat it. <laughs> this is a true story now. This is not a recommendation on parenting. <laughs> so here's what Grandpa did. He went and got a clean diaper, and he took some peanut butter and mixed some chocolate syrup in it. And he put that in that diaper and he set it over on the kitchen counter and it was ready. Well, it wasn't, but later on that day, and here David's running around, right? And the diaper's hanging low, bouncing on the floor, you know? And Grandpa said, what, you pooped that diaper again? And David goes, 
and he took off running. So he's running around the house. Grandpa's chasing him. Come here. Grandpa grabbed that, that diaper with the peanut butter in it and started chasing him. David was screaming and such because he knew Grandpa's serious now, you know. He's screaming. The diaper's dragging the floor and everything. Finally, Grandpa catches him, lays him down, takes that diaper off, you know, did the switcheroo behind the back, and he grabbed that diaper and shoved that peanut butter in his face. <laughs> This is a true story. <laughs> David was choking. He was screaming. He was begging for help and mercy. My older brother and I were laughing. <laughs> we got a kick out of it. Finally, my grandpa got up and he started laughing. And David stood up. <laughs> uh, tastes like peanut butter. <laughs> and I want to announce to you today, if any of you are wondering if it worked, I announced to you today that that was the last day that David ever ate a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> and it was the last day that he soiled his diaper too. So uh, Texans must know something about how to work with kids. I want to look quickly at verse 34. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of, who, of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus knew that God had given him works to do, and he wasn't only about the works, but he knew that he had to finish the works, to finish the works. In John 5, 36, Jesus said, the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me. Now notice the Father gave him works, but didn't expect Jesus just to work on the works but he expected him to finish the works. Later, at, toward the end of Jesus' ministry and life here on earth, he prayed what was captured as the longest prayer that we have captured in Scripture from the lips of Jesus while he was here in human form. And Jesus said this in the 17th chapter, the fourth verse of John. Fourth verse of John, he said, I have glorified you on the earth. Listen, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. So Jesus finished his assignment and that glorified God. If I finish my assignment, it will glorify God. If you finish your assignment, it will glorify God. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, every single person, there's a plan for you. And that plan includes good works. And so you can choose where you go to college and what career you have and what you spend your time doing, but that doesn't mean you're pursuing the exact good works that have already been prepared for you. But if you pursue them and finish them, God receives glory and your life will be blessed. When I was 18 years old, I realized that there was an assignment on my life. I was desperate. I was bound with lust. I was insecure. I was struggling. I felt like a failure going somewhere to happen. I was so down. But I went into my closet and I began to cry out to the living God and say, God, if you're real, help me, help me, deliver me, change me. I felt like this lust was going to destroy me and embarrass me, limit me, maybe destroy my future marriage, reputation and such. And it was during that time, without any spiritual mentor right over me, without anybody coaching me from a human dimension, that the living God made himself so real to me and changed me. It wasn't just some, you know, religious experience. It was an actual 
changed by the power of God that delivered me in that season from lust, from insecurity, put confidence in me, and began to make me known, make known to me that I had a plan. In fact, I knew at about that age that one day I would be speaking to thousands of people and helping them to experience life in the living God. I knew that. This insecure 18-year-old was completely transformed by the power of God, and I knew that the things that were happening today would happen, this is a, over 30 years ago. It's not a typical thing that happens to teenagers, but I'm telling you, it happened to me, and it was real, and it stuck. And we have 30 years of evidence to prove it. Jesus goes on in the 37th and 38th verses of John 4 to say this, For in this the saying is true, one sows and other reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. I want to give you a little in interesting history that I just became aware of within this last week. Very, very timely history. This very week, I was sent some articles from a magazine called Foursquare Crusader back in the, 19, the, the late 1920s. In fact, May 2nd, 1928, you'll see it on the screen, the edition of Foursquare Crusader magazine, there was an article at the bottom announcing the opening of the Anaheim Foursquare Gospel Lighthouse Church. So an article that captured the beginning of our church in 1928. It was a place of prayer for this city and a place of prayer for this people. I also was given an article one year later, May the 29th, 1929, Foursquare Crusader magazine. And toward the top, there was an announcement that this new church, about a year old at that point, had now secured a permanent location. They had an event to celebrate this. Amy Semple McPherson showed up personally to help dedicate it, and that little church that could seat about 300 was packed and overflowing. So from the beginning and the inception of the history of this church, there's been something of God. To have 300 people back in those days was, was really something. That would really hit the news. Many miracles and testimonies came over the years, but some of those testimonies took time to develop. They took time to come. In fact, let me just tell you something that I believe is, is almost miraculous. This week, out of the blue, I received a thank you letter from out of state. And I want to read this letter to you. You'll see it on the screens, but listen to what this gentleman said. Dear Pastor, I have held back several years in writing you because I really do not want to take any part of God's glory for what has occurred to me over the past 40 plus years. But I do want to thank the Anaheim Foursquare Church and hopefully bring glory to God by telling you the, a little story or a little of my story. I grew up in Anaheim in the late 1950s. We lived on Dahlia Drive, and so did the pastor of the Anaheim Foursquare Church. His son was my friend, and I invited him to go to church with him. I, or he invited me to go to church with him. My parents never went, but they thought it was a good idea that I go. These events occurred around 1957 and 58 when I was around 11 or 12 years old. Because I was going with the pastor's family, we arrived early before Sunday school started. I remembered my Sunday school teacher being an older woman. Her class was upstairs, as I recall, and before Sunday school started, I waited downstairs for things to begin. During this time, she would be upstairs 
loudly pouring her heart out before God for each of us kids in the class. This so impressed me that even today I trace my Christian roots back to that dear woman and her prayers in that upstairs room. Back in those days at the start of church after Sunday school, they would call us kids to the front who had memorized a verse during the week. If you said the verse, you were given a candy bar. I'm embarrassed to say that many, many times I went forward and recited, Jesus wept. <laughs> I was always given a candy bar and never criticized or told not to come forward until I memorized another verse. Well, we moved to Huntington Beach not, not long after those years, and that was the end of my church-going experience. But I never forgot that dear old lady in the upstairs room praying for me. God drew me towards him in the years that followed, and at one point I picked up the family Bible and started reading John 1.1. I felt God telling me this was his word, and it was true. That was probably 1968 or 1969. In 1970, I gave my life to Christ in a church of God in Hanford, California. I do not believe this would have ever happened without the prayers of that dear old Sunday school teacher in the upper room. In 1970, I was also married to a good Christian woman, and we have served Jesus in many ways all these years. I have led a group of men for the last 24 years at the Idaho State Penitentiary in Orofino, uh, Idaho. A little of our work can be found in the book Jesus in Prison by Thomas Trock. That's enough about me. I do want to say thank you. Thank you for all the pastors and people who invited and brought those sometimes unpleasant and rowdy kids to church. Thank you for all those Sunday school teachers who poured out their hearts to God for the unsaved kids. You did not see the change then, perhaps. God did. May God continue to bless your church and his ministry. Sincerely, Dick Jones. I want to say... This event that he's thanking us for, we had nothing to do with it personally, happened some 30 years after they moved into that permanent building. And they stayed in that building until 1994. But you can see, 30 years after they started that church in prayer, it's still a place of prayer and it's still a place where the love of God is impacting people that maybe you didn't find out the depth of which till later. In 1994, Caltrans was widening the five freeway and they needed the property of that little church. And through some litigation, there was uh, some money that was secured and the property was purchased at 101 East Orangethorpe Avenue. It was five years after that event that God spoke to me. He said, I want you to plant a church this year. I knew it would be in Orange County, didn't know where. I was reluctant to come when I was asked to come and pastor the Anaheim Foursquare Church because I thought we were going to start from scratch and that already had a building and a congregation. But as it were, the Lord would lead us to take the congregation and immediately close down the campus uh, services and spend seven months retooling and preparing to reopen that same church under a new name called The Rock. September the 12th, 99, I was introduced September the 19th, we announced the closing, and then seven months later, April 9th, the year 2000, we had the grand opening of The Rock. One building became two, and then three, and then four, and then five buildings on the North Campus. One congregation became two, then three, four, five, and now 
nine congregations, all part of our church, one church with nine congregations. One language became two and then three. Now with several Spanish congregations and a Vietnamese congregation. And then we prayed, God, what's next? And the Lord led us to this place, to this place, this location, to extend once again. Let me show you a map of Anaheim. Anaheim is over 50 square miles of property, 32,500 acres. To drive from one end of Anaheim to the other is about 25 miles and take you about 30 minutes. The population of Anaheim is now over 346,000. It's the most populated city in Orange County, the 10th largest in California, the 54th largest in the United States. I want to go back to that article of 1928, and I want to show you something. It says right at the beginning of the article that the Anaheim Foursquare Gospel Lighthouse was officially opened Sunday, April the 29th, 1928, and it gives the address. It's 323 East Center Street. Now let me show you a map of where the forum is. Here you'll see it. And now let me show you where 323 East Center Street is. After all that God has done, he's taken us back to where we started, where we started in prayer, where we started as a little church to pray for a city and to pray for its people. And now, 85 years later, here we are, back almost in the exact location. Here's something else that's interesting. A year after this church started on Center Street, it moved to its permanent location. And the other article verifies that its permanent location was on a street. I'll bet you can guess. It's a street called Broadway, the same street that the forum's on. Today we realize that we've entered into the labors of others. When I took over this church, when we started fresh as the rock, I had no idea of its 72-year history. I didn't understand it, but today I understand that there were precious people like you that had a vision that God could do something with the people of Anaheim and help them, love them, bless them, heal them, and save them. And they began this church, and they poured their lives into it. They gave they sacrificed. Now, 85 years later, we think we're doing something, not realizing we're standing on the shoulders of giants, giants that no one knew, but nevertheless, God used in a dramatic way. There are places and there are places. Not all places are identical, but sometimes God chooses a place. Sometimes God chooses a location and says, there, I want to do something. There, I want to meet the people. There, I want to change lives. This is a place of prayer. This is a house of prayer. A house of prayer for this city. This word that was given, I told Pastor Jack, couldn't be any more perfect. The word that the Lord has given you because of the history that I was about to share. He had no idea what I was about to share. This is a house of prayer. This is a house of God. And this is a place where we will pray for this city, and we will pray for the people here, along with the cities around, and we will allow the loving God that we know to begin to touch the lives of the people around us. 